0: This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Welcome to This Week in the Peace, a show dedicated to the people, events, and news of BC's peace region. Here's your hosts, Dub Craig and Jordan Prentice. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Dub Craig.
1: And I'm Jordan Prentice. Later, I'll be speaking with Fort St. John Huskies head coach Todd Alexander. The Huskies wrapped up the regular season last weekend and currently rank first in the Northwest Junior Hockey League. We'll chat with Todd about the season and how things are looking heading into the playoffs.
0: But first, Peace River North MLA Dan Davies hosted a town hall last night on crime over at the Lido and invited several members of the opposition shadow cabinet and other local politicians to take part. to talk a bit about... About what he heard last night at the gathering and how he intends to advocate for the government to do more on the public safety file. I'm joined now by Prince George McKenzie MLA and Shadow Minister for Public Safety and Solicitor General mike morris mike welcome to this week in the peace good morning i've said the name right twice now so we're yeah. <laughs> well. it's hard to
2: it's hard to mess this one up
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here today uh let's kind of just start with some of the things you you heard from from people last night at this town hall i mean it sounded like it was a packed house it was very busy what were people saying to you and the panel about how they're feeling on the public safety a lot
2: general? of frustration with the justice system uh A lot of discussion around the opiate crisis that we see, the overdose, uh, Mm -hmm. the number of deaths that we have and all the mayhem that that causes. So, uh, but the frustration was, was paramount and, you know, people really don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's getting worse instead of better. Our court system is not supporting uh, what we see going on out there. Um, You know, basically, in my view, our entire society is paralyzed by the opiate crisis and it needs some major overhauls take place.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like the NDP, um, I'll say anyway, I think their heart was maybe in the right place with what they wanted to do, but there's been zero support for, okay, we've decriminalized things, but how do we get these people who have addictions, who have mental health struggles, both Um, help that they need there hasn't been any real support of that happening has there
2: no there hasn't Uh, decriminalization has been an absolute failure right across the country in fact anywhere it's been tried uh, in north america it's been a total failure and you know this is a social experiment that's been going on now for probably 20 or 30 years and we see the outcome is not getting better in any of the jurisdictions that have tried this so uh, it behooves me i can't understand why the NDP carry on in this in this vein when we have seven people a day dying right across British Columbia not only that one of the other uh, uh, factors that causes me a lot of concern is the number of people that overdose and end up with acquired brain injury as a result of those overdoses i looked on the bc center for disease control website uh, you know a few years ago and i looked at these statistics And I think there was something like 10 or 15,000 a year that were diagnosed with acquired brain injury in our emergency rooms. Um, And that was three or four or five years ago. So how many do we have out there right now? And it just gets worse. Every time you overdose, that acquired brain injury keeps getting worse.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you could sort of say, okay, well, a simple solution is let's build more jails, hire more police. I know you have a policing background. Um, You know, can we just put these people away who are you know, committing crimes. I think that's one comment I saw, uh, you know, being discussed on Facebook recently. It's got to be more complex than that. There has to be a better way than just let's put these people away, right? And I I think, uh, you know, Kevin Falcon and and you are are trying to pressure the government to do more than what they're doing now, correct?
2: It's not a complex uh, issue. Um, It's simply provide addictions and recovery beds for anybody that requires it. Yeah. period, and build them regionally so it's accessible to people in Fort St. John, Dawson Creek, Prince George, it doesn't matter where you live. And, and that's in our Better as Possible platform that we put out there. The second part of that is also to build psychiatric facilities for those that, that suffer from mental illness, but also those who suffer from that acquired brain injury that I mentioned earlier. And, and I think if we did that and provided that wraparound service, and some of them need to, uh, you know, we, we will need to bring some legislation in play that will put them in these institutions, for lack of a better term, perhaps against their will, but for the betterment of their health and well-being until they're able to function on their own. So that's easy. It's going to cost money to do that, and it'll take a few years to get that up to speed. I think once we do that, we're going to see a significant decrease in the amount of crime that we see on this street, and it'll it'll free up the police resources that have now spent too much time defaulting to look after, uh, you know, addictions and mental illness issues and concentrate on the criminal element of these, these bad folks um, that are taking advantage of these disadvantaged people who are addicted and suffer from these mental illness issues. Mm -hmm.
0: What about uh, kind of organized crime? I know there's been talk a lot about that recently. And I think even from, you know, law enforcement that this is a small group of people who are causing a lot of what's going on from, you know, whatever their dealings happen to be. Is that something else you're hearing, not just here, but even, you know, in other parts
2: of the province when,
0: if it's been a town hall or just a discussion with constituents on this file that you've been hearing kind of as as the shadow minister for public
2: safety. It is, you know, I got two sons in the RCMP as well, and uh, they're both dealing with organized crimes and guns and gangs uh, here in BC. Um, It's a serious issue right across the province, and it's these organized crime groups that are taking advantage of the, the, I, I call it the, the the doctrine of prescribed immunity that our federal and provincial government seems to have adopted that if you suffer from from any one of a number of different ailments or or you have a history of abuse in your background that you don 't have to pay the penalty that that you will be, uh, the, the crime and your sentences will be mitigated accordingly to whatever your your circumstances are. Organized crime takes advantage of that. They will make sure that they bring people in and involve them that fall under this prescribed immunity so that it leaves them, uh, you know, pretty solid. They won't get hit. And uh, so that's part of it. The other part of it is our courts have to start taking this more seriously and, and holding these people in custody. There was, uh, you know, the Supreme Court came out a number of years ago and they said, you know, everybody must be presumed innocent and therefore the, the default is to release them pending trial. Um, well, how many times, you know, if you've got tw- uh, 27 records of violence, uh, 27 criminal uh, accounts of, of committing violence in the last five years, we s- still consider you innocent. I think we need to revisit that. And I think the the prosecution in B.C. should be appealing some of these release provisions to get that clarified by the Supreme Court eventually. Mm mm-hmm.
0: Now, is there any, in your mind, any merit to the idea that the court system is overwhelmed? And as such, maybe more investment in that somehow. Obviously, I don't know the answer, but expanding the number of judges, the number of courts, the number of people available to deal with these situations so that I think... You we hear catch and release used a lot. Uh, So that isn't happening as much because they can actually deal with these things in a timely manner. And as you say, people who are guilty and get found guilty actually go to jail in a timely manner and and kind of serve their sentence. Jail, whatever it happens to be.
2: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think we've got uh, um, the court system is not equipped to deal with addictions and mental illness, period. Full stop. But it is. It's been the default filter i guess that 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 we have here and if we were to build these uh, recovery treatment centers with no arbitrary timelines you stay in those uh, treatment centers until you're better and when you're released, you have a wraparound service. Uh, but we also build these these regional psychiatric centers as well to deal with people. Um, that would take so much of the pressure off of the criminal part that we have. The police would be able to complete ad- uh, technically elegant investigations. If you screw up with a criminal investigation, you stand the chance of wasting millions of dollars on that. And uh, so this would give the police time to concentrate on those technically elegant uh, investigations and get charge approvals and 100% conviction rates, and then our courts would be able to function properly. So the opioid crisis, like I said, has paralyzed our society, it's paralyzed our justice system, it's paralyzed our medical systems, and it's paralyzed our housing systems and everything else. So we need to address those things, and once we do that, I think we would start seeing the rest of our social pillars that we have in our communities functioning properly.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, One more question on kind of the town hall uh, you attended last night anything come up that surprised you that you hadn't heard before? Or again, is this, you know, when you're hearing from constituents in other parts uh, of BC, has it been pretty standard? Like, yep. This, as you said earlier, this is a problem across the province right now.
2: It is. There was nothing new last night. Uh, It could have been in any community that I visited over the past 10 years. Um, the issues were the same. The frustrations were the same and, and the heightened, um, um, I guess frustration is the best term for it of the community members here. It was very apparent.
0: Mm-hmm. So one more question for you, Mike, before we let you go then. I mean, I know you want to form government once the election is called. That's everybody's objective, every party. But before then, in this upcoming legislative session, pardon me, before uh, you know a possible election in the fall comes, what are you and, and the BC United going to do to, to get the NDP to look at this, to make maybe even make some changes before then so that we could start mitigating sort of the situation that's been going on what, what's kind of your your tactic I suppose in talking even to the Minister of Public Safety it's like, these are real problems and you're not currently dealing with them
2: yeah it, it's you know we have been putting pressure on them uh, um, in every legislative session um, and and we and we will continue to do that for this session as well. It's really hard to get traction in the media. Um, for the things that we are doing you know to uh, when we take somebody to task in the legislature QP is a is a more of a theatrical experience but that's where we get a lot of the grounding for the uh, for the media attention that we do get but every single one of my caucus colleagues are holding these guys to account every minute of the Mm -hmm. day whether it's the committee stage or it's in question period or whether it's uh, it's outside of that forum
0: all right mike well i really appreciate your thoughts on this uh thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us this morning
2: my pleasure thanks very much for having me
0: you're very welcome that's uh mike morris the mla for prince george Mackenzie, and the shadow minister for public safety and solicitor general be right back to talk to todd alexander of the fort st john huskies Right after this, on This Week in the Peace.
1: Welcome back to This Week in the Peace. I'm Jordan Prentice, and today I am joined by Huskies head coach, Todd Alexander. Todd, thank you so much for joining me today.
3: Appreciate it.
1: Of course. So let's talk about the Huskies. The Huskies finished off the regular season last weekend with a 36-5-1 record and currently ranked first in the Northwest Junior Hockey League. Todd, last time we spoke about the Huskies was in December. Um, the Huskies had been undefeated since early November, and although you guys were seeing success on paper, uh, you told me that it had been a challenging season so far, kind of full of adversity. Um, what were some of the challenges you guys faced in sort of the first half of the season?
3: Uh, a, l- a little bit of uh, turnover this year with uh, some some uh, new players coming in and learning some of the stuff that we do. It uh, took a little while to get them the reps that they needed. Uh, on top of that, we, uh, we lost our captain six games in, uh, we were missing him for 15 weeks. Um, we lost an assistant captain for the year. Uh, he, he had a pretty severe injury as well. So he's been out. Uh, we lost another guy that, uh, had been around for quite a while. Um, went through some uh, championships with us, and uh, he'd be a 20-year-old player. He'd be playing right now if we still had him as well. Uh, So uh, uh, with these on and off losing players, not just for for like one night or two nights, uh, you know, stretches of uh, four or five games. Um, Missing our uh, top two centermen for bulk of the season, having to train new guys to learn those positions. Missing our top goal scorer. I think he maybe got 15 games in this year. Um, so lots of, lots of different moving parts every night. Um, guys playing in different roles every night. Uh, a lot of the young guys got way more ice time than, uh, normally we are able to divvy out and, and break them in a little bit slower. They were kind of thrown into the fire by trial. And, uh, you know, I thought that we've uh, done a pretty good job. We used uh, our affiliate players this year thanks to the U18 trackers and uh, to the U18 Prince George team. We snuck a couple games in there from their players too, but uh, we used our affiliate players the most uh, that I had in 13 seasons that I've been doing this now, so... Yeah, it was uh, challenging that way. You'd know, you'd feel like you'd take a step forward with uh, your roster and then you'd take two back (laughs) after a weekend. And, but the, the men kept grinding and, you know, it wasn't pretty. We don't have a whole bunch of guys up in the top scoring of the league like we have been in the past. And it's been really by committee and uh, each night and each weekend it was a a different player stepping up. So that was uh, exciting for us to, uh, To find these guys and uh, allow them to grow into these roles, and uh, I think we're better for it now that we're uh, coming into playoffs here.
1: And uh, when you guys kind of came back after Christmas, I'm pretty sure you had your captain, Curtis Lee, back, which was great. Um, Tell me how things improved uh, from January to now.
3: Yeah, we, we started to get some bodies back. Um, yeah, the captain came back. He came back about mid-January. Um, like I said, he was gone for 15 weeks. He wasn't, uh, Gone, gone. He was around the team a lot. He never missed any games. Uh, thank you to him for uh, really putting the effort off ice and helping us out um, with a lot of the young guys answering the questions, making sure he was there mentoring them and uh, supporting them all the way through that. So that was big on him. His leadership really uh, helped us out through that. I know it's not an ideal season for him to go have to go through that, but um, you know just how he stepped up and did whatever he could from the position that he was in was uh, was huge some of our new leadership uh figured out how to lead which uh sometimes takes time too and um you know we encourage those guys uh to lead their own way and figure it out and uh that's what they they had been doing as well and you know we had a couple guys really step up and start chopping wood for us and bring guys into the fight and that uh that helped out a lot with uh with some of the younger players as well so they had mentors too to to look up to and you know, it just, uh, different guys were, were really starting to come around. And then, you know, we, we picked up a, a high end defenseman and he ended up breaking his ankle. So we were hoping to maybe get him back at the end of the playoff run here, too. So, you know, it's just, uh, like I said, it was one step forward, two step back. But, uh, I think uh, with the buy that we uh, ended up earning in the regular season this year, uh, came right down to the last uh, game of the year, was exciting for us as well, playing meaningful games right through the end. Um, Will help us out um, for uh, what we got coming up for the second season here. Um, You know, just uh, at the end of the day, you can't really – Pointed onto one individual you know a lot of guys uh, got their hand in this and I think that's going to be uh, helpful for us going forward because that's what it's all about is dealing with adversity and I think these guys uh, have dealt with so much this year that it's almost like they get to the rink and they dish it up on their plate and if they don't have adversity they don't know what to do with themselves so um, you know that, that makes for a real mentally tough hockey club and that's what we got this year and uh, I'm pretty proud of the group and uh, the performance that they put in
1: Great. And so, up until last Friday's 3-1 loss against the Grand Prairie Wheat Kings, uh, the team was on, I think, I tried to count it this morning, Um, I think you guys were on a 26-game win streak. Um, How did the team take last weekend's loss, and how are they feeling heading into playoffs kind of with that loss? I know that the Wheat Kings, a couple of the guys have told me that they consider the Wheat Kings the rivals, so...
3: Yeah, we've had a good rivalry with Wheat Kings over the last few years now. I think uh, we've played them in the finals three years in a row. Um, so, I mean, uh, naturally, at, uh, they have a chip on their shoulder against us, and they show up. And credit to them, they, they've got a, a great coach. Uh, I hope their coach wins uh, coach of the year this year. He definitely deserves it. Um, he got that hockey club two weeks before the season started. The transformation that he's made there has been uh, incredible just as far as like how their personality is, how they play um, you know, the discipline in their game and their structure is, uh, tenfold, uh, to what they've had in the past. And, uh, and, and he's a really good human. So, um, you know, good, good credit to him. They came in, played a great road game, played a real quiet, boring game, took uh, advantage of the mistakes that we were making that game. We couldn't find our energy or our footing all game long. It was very vanilla for us. So good learning lesson that, uh, yeah, it was great that we had a 26 game, um, you know, streak going, but, really at the end of the day right before playoffs uh it, it humbled us gave us a little slap in the face and i think sometimes uh in this sport you need that um so that we're not walking into things just assuming that we're going to win again a little bit more adversity for us and i made the next game against uh, peace river meaningful for us and we had to step up and we didn't have the best two periods uh, to start that game either but uh you know, the third period, uh, we, we put our foot on the gas, and uh, we showed the club that we can be, and I think that's the important part, and it was a good night for the boys to uh, clinch first that way.
1: And if the Huskies win the league this year, um, I believe it'll be their fifth consecutive championship win. Um, I would like to know what kind of methods you implement as a head coach to kind of get the team into that championship-winning mentality.
3: Yeah, I'm- I think really at the end of the day, our culture is the most important thing. I know a lot of people talk about culture, but we really work at it every day. It's a work in progress. It's not just from the coaching staff. Um, yeah, we've laid out, um, you know, the the outline of of what it is, but at the end of the day, the players have bought into it over the past few years uh, immensely. They're the ones that push it now. Um, I just gotta kind of tweak it here and there and make sure that we're still paying attention to it. But it's it's really it's it's people first. We care about our guys. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a love thing. They love each other in that room, and uh, they make sure that um, you know that everybody may have different roles and and sometimes some of those roles are a little bit more important but the status on the hockey club is all the same and everybody has the same status no matter what type of ice time or what position that you're playing or what um you know shift that you're you're being given by the coach and i think that they have an equal understanding to that no one gets treated any different on our hockey club and you know it makes it a lot easier for them to come into the room and then give their best effort out on the ice especially at this level it's important that uh you got guys buying in like that because it's really it's, it's tough to lay down and block a shot if, you know, someone's, you know, picking on you or doesn't like you or making you feel like you don't have the same status to what everybody else does. So I think it's important that uh, we, we maintain that and going forward, um, the players are the ones that are pushing that right now and it's uh, very impressive.
1: And the Huskies have a bye for the first round of the playoffs. Um, can you just explain how that works, maybe for people listening who don't know?
3: Yeah, so this year, um, all, all eight clubs technically made playoffs. Um, but uh, the two clubs that finished seventh and eighth, which was uh, Sexsmith and uh, Fairview, they just finished uh, a best-of-three play-in. Uh, Sexsmith won that two games. So now... Uh, Two will play seven, three will play six, and four will play five and a best of five uh, for the next couple weekends here. Um, so we'll we'll rest up, and then we'll get uh, the lowest seeded team that comes out of that mix. Uh, starting uh, March first, I believe, is when we'll have our first home game in the playoffs.
1: Okay, and speaking of home games, um, every home game I attended this season, the remar- it was just remarkable to see the turnout, um, of fans showing their support. How much of an impact do the fans have on the Huskies on ice success? Do you think? Uh,
3: I think it's a massive impact. I mean, we put a lot of effort into the community. We've done a lot of things with the uh, the younger groups and minor hockey and making sure that uh, we're involved in that. You know, I, I coach a lot of uh, minor hockey myself. I'm involved with the, uh, the U sevens and the U 15 team and our players go out to different practices here and there. Uh, we got a couple guys that are uh, training some of the, the teams in minor hockey with their off ice fitness and things like that. And, just the kids that are able to interact with our players, uh, you know, coming on and off the ice, uh, the signatures downstairs after the hockey games, um, you know, the seventh pop is big. Uh, we really appreciate, uh, Hebert doing that. And that's been a, a massive, uh, thing for our group in order to stay connected with these young guys that are looking up to them. And, and then they, we did a good job this year, where we had the uh, four on four with the U sevens, um, where they came out and played for five minutes in between, and we had five of those games, and that went off like a hit. And so, I mean, um, being in the community and sharing it with the community and making the community proud of us uh, for us to go out and represent the the name of Fort Saint John is important to us. And. I think, uh, going forward, um, you know, you'll see the support come out when, uh, when we put the effort in, into the community, they put the effort into us. And I think that's what you're seeing going on right now. Um,
1: so moving along here, I just have a few more for you, Todd. Um, the Huskies had their annual awards night last night. Uh, what were some highlights?
3: Uh, I think the highlights are always, um, you know, ha- obviously handing out those, uh, awards to the guys that uh, are the recipients and, just uh seeing them uh have that smile and uh, a little bit of pride that they're on their face for their body of work i mean it doesn't mean that everybody else didn't put in the same amount of work but there's a few guys that stuck their head up a little bit more than uh than other people and they got recognized for it and uh, it's an important uh night for us and it's always uh a little bit lighter you know you got some parents there you got some billets there and we get to joke around a little bit and have a little bit lighter side and have some fun together and we did a brunch this year so the boys can go out and make sure that they got to Super Bowl that night and <laughs> have their uh, Sunday fun day together. And so it was, it was a good event. And uh, like I said, there's some, uh, some guys that stuck their head up a little bit more and they're well-deserved of what they got.
1: Okay, last question for you here, Todd. Um, as the Huskies head coach, what would you say is your biggest takeaway from the 2023-2024 season so far?
3: uh just the uh the sense of commitment to each other um you know we've always had pretty tight groups uh over the years and uh, again we had uh, a lot of turnover with the young guys we had a lot of turnover in our leadership group this year so there was a lot of things that we had to go through and you know just how uh proud i am i touched on it earlier just the adversity that we've gone through um you know that would have folded a lot of groups um but we just uh, figured it out and we ground it out. And, you know, generally we were used to, you know, winning 5-1 games and having guys up at the top in the scoring leader box and, you know, just having high-power offense. And all of a sudden we were winning 2-1 games, 3-1 games, overtime games. And so just the fact that the men um, really do a good job of deflecting negativity, they stay very positive to each other even uh, when a uh, coach is uh, a little bit upset sometimes <laughs> or grinding him out and doing his job. But yeah, really, at the end of the day, a sense of commitment to each other is, uh, is incredible on this hockey team, and I think that that'll, uh, that'll help us immensely going forward.
1: Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Todd. I look forward to seeing how the Huskies fare in the playoffs this year.
3: Appreciate the support.
0: Well, that does it for our show this week. Thanks to our guests, Mike Morris and Todd Alexander, for joining us today on This Week in the Peace.
1: You can listen to the show again by checking out the podcast at energeticcity.ca slash podcasts. We'll store this and future episodes of the show there as we make them. Also, check out our locally produced podcast Before the Peace and Secrets of the North as well. That's
0: our show. I'm Dub Craig.
1: And I'm Jordan Prentice.
0: Be well.